You gotta change your habits or change your goals. Muay Thai is 50% running and 30% laundry. Keep working on your game. Keep innovating. I'm always winning. What is your pro tip? Hello and welcome to another episode of Pro Tip Conversations. Today we have with us Monali Patel, who is a Canadian cricketer who has now transitioned into her coaching career. She was recently appointed ICC Coach Master Educator for the Americas region. We'll talk to her about her uh, cricket career as well as her transition into coaching. Um, so let's get started. Welcome, Manali. Thank you. Hi. Thanks for joining us. Um, I'm going to start really with what got you started in cricket. Uh, oddly enough, I was not attracted to the sport for most of my childhood growing up. Uh, I grew up in Kenya playing oh, okay. a whole lot of other sports. And uh, it wasn't until I was about 15 and I was taking my brother to his cricket practice and while taking him to practice within a week it all kind of happened and I was on the internet and I came across an article about the English women's cricket team and I was like oh this is quite big and I had no idea that it existed so I took it up yeah. there and uh, it almost became a challenge for me to see where I could take it. Because when I was younger in Kenya, um, we were playing cricket at school and I was always a bit of a tomboy growing up. And one of the boys turned around to me and said, well, girls don't play cricket. And at that point I'd said, you know what? No sport is, um, if there's a sport that's not good enough for women, I'm better than it. So I, I don't need to be involved with this. And that was my yeah. first, uh, right. I guess, turn off from the game. And then after that, it just became, yeah, you know, let's do this. Let's see where we can go with it. Did it, um, once you started playing, did it grab you immediately? Were you like excited yes. about the sport? Yes, guess, it did. And unfortunately, yeah. it's also, or fortunately, I should say, I'm a little headstrong. And uh, when, I, when I took it okay. up, I started in Kitchener, Ontario, where we live. And there was just the one boys mm. academy and they wouldn't let me be a part of any of it so it was like no you're gonna get hurt don't do this you're gonna get hurt don't oh, do that and it was just i was at that point i was like i have a point to prove let's see let's see where we can go with this yeah so did you have to join and play with what was the men's league at the time yeah yeah i did so um yeah. after yeah. our brief uh stint in kitchener we went to the GTA and I joined Transac Cricket Academy. And back then Transac, um, they had quite a lot of men's teams. They had a few junior teams, but it was more of a senior club. Yeah. And I played in the TND league for years. And I was okay. the only woman in the league for probably about seven, eight years. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 We'll ask you more about that in a minute, but you, you had mentioned that you grew up playing other sports. Um, what other kind of things were you like excited about playing when you were younger? Uh, so I used to play soccer for school and I used to swim for school and oh. I did a hundred meter and 200 meters. Okay. So, Oh yeah. 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 And then once I couldn't keep up and then, with the speed, then I took up badminton and tennis. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah, so a little bit of everything. Yeah. A little bit of everything. Yeah. Um, did you have, <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you have any sporting heroes growing up? Um, so before cricket came along, Marion Jones, I know there was the whole doping scandal that came out yeah. way after, but she was an idol growing up. Um, and then Rahul Dravid yeah. 
for forever, ever since I got into cricket. Yeah. And then, I mean, this is a very general question, but I was kind of curious in, in what kind of ways has cricket impacted your life? Massive. Um, I, yeah. I cannot summarize how much it's changed my life. I went from living an ordinary life, you know, playing club sports to traveling the world, working with the ICC. It's, it's been life-changing. I didn't anticipate myself yeah. getting to where I am, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And uh, I'm so thankful for it because mm -hmm. I, as a player, you're involved and you want to stay involved but it's hard to transition after you're done playing. So you need to find something to still keep you in the sport and keep the passion alive. And I'm fortunate enough to get a chance to be able to do that. A lot of people don't, they play and they're done and that's the end of their career with the, with the sport. So it's life-changing. Cool. So we'll talk about your playing career in the next section, but I did want to touch upon, you know, what you've transitioned to now uh, as a coach. So tell us a bit about the Kitchener-Waterloo Academy that you started. Yeah, so my husband and I, um, we started this a few years ago in Kitchener. We've got a few people that we work with. We work with some juniors, and then occasionally we'll work with some seniors who are looking for one-on-one -on -one trainings as well. But we try to focus on juniors who are like under 8 and going up to about under 16. We're also working with a few women, which is nice, and they're they're juniors, so up and coming. Um, the idea was to try and get as much involvement in the game in Kitchener as we could, because most of our playing and our involvement is in the GTA, and it's only now starting to expand here. So we're almost it's almost as a platform for people now looking for cricket in Kitchener Waterloo to be able to say, oh, look, there is a place that we can register our kids to go and learn the sport. And along with doing that part of it, our club also signed on with two schools this year. So we did an elementary school where we introduced a cricket program and we did one high school. And we were looking to grow that next year and hopefully have more schools playing against each other by next summer because there is a lot of interest for it now. And have you seen the trend uh, in terms of the number? Because you mentioned when you started, you were the only female cricketer playing. Have you seen those numbers go up? Uh, and are you seeing more interest for the academy from women cricketers as well? Yeah, the numbers have definitely gone up. We've gone from having no women's league to a women's league. We've gone from having two teams participating at provincials to four teams. And that's just in Ontario. We've got girls playing out east in Alberta. We've got girls playing in BC. So the numbers have definitely increased. Um, unfortunately, it hasn't really translated to some of the quality that we would, what we had wanted to see, um, especially because we mm -hmm. have made it to a World Cup qualifier before, and we haven't been able to consistently maintain that standard. But you do need to focus on your grassroots if you're to have a 10-year, 15-year plan down the road. So hopefully this is the mm -hmm. beginning of that grassroots base, and then eventually it'll lead to a more solid performance higher up. Awesome. And then, you know, first of all, congratulations on your uh, new role as the ICC Master Educator. Can you tell us a bit about that? So what what's the mandate for that position? Yeah, thank you. Um, so it uh, started last year, I had 
done the level one facilitators course through the ICC in Mexico and uh, reached out to them with the potential of becoming a master educator. I'd done a version of the level one facilitator a few years ago, also through the ICC. Um, that was in LA. And then I did a level two facilitator through Cricket Australia, also in partnership with the ICC. So um, certain requirements, you know, you had to be a level two coach. Um, you you had to have a certain amount of years of experience. Um, and then in Dubai recently in May, we had uh, seven days that we were there and we trained as a group. And it was it was a pretty incredible opportunity and experience given that all of the master educators from all the other regions were there as well. So we had uh, East Asia Pacific, we had the Asia group, the Europe group, Africa and the Americas. And uh, to be able to collaborate and find out what works in other regions, what doesn't work and how we can try and bring some of the ideas back. It, it was quite an invaluable experience. Got it. And, and just so I understand it correctly, so as part of the Master Educator Program, you're actually training the next generation of coaches. Is that correct? I am training the next generation of coach coaches, coach educators. So. Oh, okay. So even one level yeah. higher than that. Yeah, okay. correct. But so that's okay. one part of the role. So how, how to coach the coaches? Yes. And then we're also running coaching clinics as well. So for example, the one that I'm going to this this week on Friday, I'm off to Mexico to, to run a level one facilitator course. So that is coaching coach educators. Um, but then we'll be running a few level two mm -hmm. coaching courses as well this year, which is coaching coaches directly. Nice. Okay. And so how, how did you um, find out about this program? Um, it's a lot of networking. I know you were already a level two coach previously. Yes, it's a lot of networking. Um, in a way, things have kind of fallen into place for me. Um, I was, I don't even know how many years ago this was. I was 19 when I had a, I, I was in Australia for six months. And I started my coaching journey mm -hmm. there where I got my level one through them. And I was coaching at a YMCA. It all kind of started from there. Uh, fast forward a few years later, I reached out to the West Indies Cricket Board for my level two and somehow lucked out that Cricket Australia was the one hosting it. And then a few years later, uh, Cricket wow. Australia was running a level three in Florida and they reached out to see if I was interested. And I was like, it, it just, the chain of events fell into place really well for me, but it is a lot of networking. You've got to keep in touch with the people that are running courses and even within the ICC, because um, the cricket community is not as large as you might think. And uh, you, you'll always meet mm -hmm. people who are, you know, common friends or or have worked with someone that you know. Um, but a lot of it is is networking and making sure that you are always a step ahead in terms of your qualifications, because that's the very least you can do, you know, meet the criteria that you mm. need. So if something does open up, then you're ready for it in that sense. Awesome. And and so I know what one of the, uh, in the article that I read about the master educator announcement, um, this was this the first batch of female master educators in North America and in the Americas regions that were announced. Um, so it's a pretty historic moment from that standpoint. Yeah, we we actually had one other previous female master educator as well. Um, she wasn't able to attend the the session in uh, in May of this year, unfortunately. But 
Um, so we had started it a few years ago when COVID hit and then things really slowed down during COVID. But this is the first time that mm-hmm. we've had almost a 50% representation within a group of educators where it's female and, and male, like very equal representation. And even personally, all of the coaching courses that I've attended, I am normally the only female there or there might be one other. So to be in a room full of so many experienced ex-cricketers, coaches, uh, you know, who are female, it, it was it was incredible. And it shows that the ICC is really pushing that 50-50, you know, um, agenda. And and they're finally saying, you know what, we need to we need to understand that the women represent about 50 percent of the population. So it really makes no sense if we can't have the 50 percent representation everywhere. And they're trying to get that all across the board. Yeah, I mean, I know recently they just had the women's IPL and the turnout for that, the crowds for that were unbelievable. So, I mean, the, the, there's a demand for the game and, you know, you know, it's something that needs to be promoted heavily because the talent is also there. So it's, uh, you know, one of those things where it's good to see the progress that's happened in the last, I would even say seven or eight years. It's not even been that long, right? But yeah, I'm sure there's a lot more to be done. Um, yeah, just those I, I, Switching gears a little bit and... Just, just yeah. the figures that uh, the IPL auction, the women's IPL auction went for, we would have never seen numbers like that in women's cricket before. I mean, I, I always, mm-hmm. my idea was always, when you finally get bookies interested in the women's sport, you've made it. <laughs> <laughs> and that has happened. So we have made it. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, switching gears a little bit, uh, you know, I guess digging into your past experience, um, what do you think makes a great coach? It's uh, that's a very good question, actually. And when I was reading that question, it uh, it made me think. And Anish, you know our our women's coaching experience. You've seen, you know, the ex Canadian coach and how he operated. It was more negative than it was positive. And that's one of the reasons why I went down this journey because I revisited what coaching philosophy should be and what the outcome is and what positive coaching looks like. And unfortunately, a lot of my coaching experiences or my coach interactions have not been positive, have been um, mm-hmm. borderline scary, um, negative. So for me, it was how am I going to change things or try and change things that I, so that more people can get involved in the sport and have a positive experience and want to do this and want not just for themselves, but in the future, hopefully say, you know what, I want my, I want my child to be able to do this as well. And that's, that's how I came across my journey because of all the experiences that I've had in the past. And if you were to say, you know, I guess this question could be about your biggest negative coaching influences too, but who have been your biggest coaching influences that kind of shape the way you think about how you want to coach going forward? Uh, my biggest eye-opening experience was again when I was in Australia. Um, so the first, my first training session over there 
we were in outdoor nets and these nets are nothing like we have in Canada. You know, you've got a full run up. It opens up into a beautiful mm -hmm. cricket field or cricket ground. And mm -hmm. um, I swept the ball and it got lost in the bushes. And I said, sorry, because here we're even limited on the number of balls sometimes. And the coach said, you never apologize for a good <laughs> shot. And I was like, oh, I just lost the ball. And he's like, that's not a big deal. And that was the first time where you, I was like, ah, oh, right, because it's just a ball, <laughs> you know? Um, so that right. whole um, that whole experience, the six months that I was there was so positive. And a lot of times, so Adam Gilchrist, his brother used to coach um, Northern Districts. And to be able to be in the presence of someone so experienced and learn so much from them, that was that was an incredibly positive experience for me. And then um, a year later, I had spent three months in Trinidad playing a season over there. And again, also very positive. Um, it, in the sense that you're still pushed and you're still made to work hard, but there's that sense of your coach is there for you if you need anything. And, um, and they're there to make you a better player. When you were when you were working with them, did you feel the impact on your performances? Like, did it translate into feeling good when you were batting and bowling or whatnot? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I had gone to Australia expecting to be nowhere near the level of performance that I, I should have been at, and uh, not only did I improve a lot, but just that positive reinforcement, I was able to. Um, I was one of the top 10 highest run scorers that season in the league. And coming from Canada, that's a pretty big achievement. And in our club, I was the second highest run scorer for that season. Um, it, it, it translated into positive figures on the field. And um, I still remember this, this one game I asked, you know, I was like, are, are you okay if I just sit out this game and the coach said well you realize that we need your leadership on the field and it's not acceptable for you to ask for this like we're counting on you and that really makes you realize that you've you're having a bigger impact than you might have thought that you were yeah and um i guess what's the best advice that you receive from one of these coaches Ah, oh, what's the best advice? Um, I can't really say it's any one particular thing. Um, I will say that there's one moment that's stuck to me. And uh, I guess the more experienced coaches always find little things to fine tune that most people might not have an eye for. And they won't necessarily tell you that you need to change anything, but they'll just mention it to you to make you start thinking. And uh, when I was doing my level two, uh, coaching course in Trinidad, uh, one of the Cricket Australia coaches, he was just tossing me a few balls. I was doing some throwdowns. And he's like, hey, um, have you noticed that your bat is coming in from an angle, just a slight angle? And I'd never thought about it. And I'd all, I was always wondering, when you're driving, why is it that it's, you know, you're pulling to the leg side? Why are you not able to go straighter or a little more through the off side? And he just mentioned it and it got you thinking. But it's, it's moments like that, that um, as a player and as a coach that you need to be mindful of and, and keep an eye out for. And I think, um, I don't know, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, um, Anish, but you were part of that uh, spin bowling 
coaching session that we had when the spin bowler from or the, the spin bowling coach from ECB had come down? No, I don't think I I was in the I think I was long gone from the Canadian <laughs> setup at, by that time. So <laughs> <laughs> my my stint in in the under 23s was very short. Um so yeah. Yeah, but so, similar experience over enough. there, right? Um, um you're just something as simple yeah. as starting with the ball higher up as you're running in just has yeah. so much of an impact when yeah. you're releasing. So these are the little things that uh, as a player, when you work with coaches who are good at what they're doing, they, they stick with you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we had a, we had a guest um, a while ago. He's actually a basketball coach. And, and, and the thing that he said stuck with me, which is, you know, a coach can either make you or they can break you. Yeah. Right. And, and for him, it was when he had first, he was good at, I forget what sport he was good at. Um, but the coach basically baseball. Yeah. And he's the coach said, Oh, uh, you know, you, you should give up or something along those lines. And he just basically never played baseball again, even though he had an affinity for it yeah. and, and, and was good at it. Yeah. Um, so it's like, that's the impact they can have with like small comments. Right. And it's, yeah. uh, in, yeah. in your case, I think w what stuck out is the, some other coaches have mentioned that they like to, prompt questions so that the athlete becomes their own problem solver right correct them telling you something that you're doing wrong versus you figuring it out has a huge impact and i think yeah that's pretty good advice yeah, yeah. and that is essentially um, what, yes, I think we're gonna... sorry i was just saying that is essentially what uh coaching has now evolved into and uh it's why we always encourage people to take their level one, take their level two, because mm -hmm. we've all grown up a certain way with how we learned the sport, but the game's changed. The, the game's changed completely mm -hmm. since we used to play it. And with that, coaching methods have changed. And a lot of it is now, you know, I'm not going to be the old school style of coach and make clones of athletes. Everyone has individual strengths and weaknesses, and it's how you're going to be able to get the best out of an individual not clones of that individual, which is why we're encouraging as many people to get certifications as possible, because this is the stuff that you're going to learn. It's a lot of, we're not teaching you the sport because you're, you know that, you know that part of it, but man management is where coaching comes in. You know, how well can you get the best mm -hmm. out of that individual? Awesome. We're going to move a bit into your, experience with competition. Um, we're curious to ask about just your experience as a cricketer in uh, an associate nation. Um, challenging. <laughs> uh, you, yeah. You've uh, got to have a day job <laughs> um, because right. unfortunately it just doesn't pay the bills. There's a lot of passion, but not a lot of um, source of income. So you're doing a lot of it out yeah. of pocket and uh, for the love of the game. But at the same time, it's rewarding, right? Yeah. So for me personally, it started that way where it was out of pocket and you're putting in all the effort and the time. And, you know, you want to do well because you're representing your country. That is the whole point of it. You're, I mean, back in the day when we're 33 million people, yeah. 33 million people might not know you, but when you go out and put on that jersey, you are representing the 33 million people. So it's still right. a matter of right. pride. And uh, now, for me, at least, I could say that it started off in, in that direction. And now I feel like uh, 
in a way the game's almost giving me some stuff back <laughs> you know and um, yeah. it, it kind of goes both ways because I'm still involved with it but I'm finally in a position where I I'm able to make a little bit of money out of it and you know it's nice to be able to do stuff and and not expect money out of it but at the end of the day we do have bills to pay <laughs> And we do need it to be right. Um, yeah, if yeah. turning it's, it into a career or half time. a career, it has it has to lead to something. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, so you know, you've toured to a lot of different countries and represented Canada. I'm just curious what you've seen in terms of similarities and differences and opportunities and kind of resources for women cricketers, kind of in other countries, kind of versus what you might see in Canada. Um, we have a long way to go. In Canada and uh, sadly we've been very slow to get to the level of uh, competitiveness the level of support whether it's financial or physical um, and comparing ourselves to other associate nations I mean I guess we can't really call Ireland an associate anymore that you know being a full member but when we had uh, toured when we were in Ireland for the World Cup qualifiers we we had met up with the Irish girls, Netherlands was there, um, Zimbabwe, and we were able to see the kind of um, programs that they had in place. And sometimes you can tell a lot about a team just by their coaching staff or the number of staff that they're traveling with, you know. And it sure. there was really, yeah. there was a big difference between um, where we were at and where the other countries were at. And um, as much as I want to say we're, we have improved it's i i wouldn't say that we've made as much progress as i would have hoped whereas our neighbors in the us um they've made they've taken huge strides you know they're consistently making the world cup qualifiers uh we used to be neck and neck competitiveness wise we're now finding it very hard to beat them um their under 19 program is solid whereas we don't have one yet and uh that means that you know, they don't have to qualify. They're an automatic pass onto the World Cup because they're going to represent the whole region. Um, and then if you compare yourself or, or if we compare ourselves to a full member country, we have an even longer way to go. Um, the standard of cricket, the support from the boards. So a lot of boards now are at equal pay. Australia, New Zealand, um, England even, I believe, is equal pay. And we're still working on getting, you know, contracts for the men. So I don't see that happening anytime soon for the women. Um, and skill level wise, we've got a long, long way to go. I, even for myself. So the first game that I had played when I was in, in Australia, um, one of the, one of the opposite, uh, the opposition's batters, she just batting and she smoked a six well past the hill. And I don't think I had seen a female cricketer hit a six or hit a ball that far before. So it was an eye-opening experience because you're you're in a whole other league, and the level of competitiveness is we're we're not on the same planet, <laughs> to say the least. Um, so we've got a long, long way to go. But it's something for us to make you know uh, set goals for and work towards and um in part that's that's what i'm hoping to be 
involved with in the near future, you know, to try and get a solid grassroots program in. So we've got a self-sufficient system where juniors are coming up um, at a steady pace to eventually represent at the top. And then with the top players to try and get them to as close to high performance as possible. Right now, we don't have anything that I could call high performance in place, unfortunately. Yeah. It sounds like you were saying that some of that challenge is just getting the youth leagues in place, right? So you have folks learning earlier, improving earlier. Yes. So as they work their way up, they come in with yeah. experience. We've got, uh, yeah, we've essentially got an upside down triangle right now. And that is the worst that you could have for any sport because okay. you can't put all of your resources into right. the top if you've got nothing feeding it up. And we've got to try and somehow flip that triangle. Yeah. And I, yeah, Ho- hopefully that, yeah, hopefully it generates some excitement for the, really youth programs. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and this is when I um, feel like the more kids school programs that we can have in place, the better it would be. And I, right. I feel like we're missing a big, um, so Australia has like a kitty cricket program or we look at soccer in Canada and there's Timbit soccer, um, you know, where you just come out, yeah. it's half an hour, 45 minutes, depending on the age group, non-competitive, no scorekeeping, just go out, have some fun. Because if you're able to get that age group engaged, then there will be some long-term attraction to the sport. Whereas in cricket, we don't have that in Canada. We don't have a kiddie cricket version that exists. Everything here is, oh, we're going to join an academy. Well, why are you in an academy at six years old? You don't need to be in an academy at six. You know, you need to go out and play five over games shortened pitches, smaller balls. Like these are basics that we haven't even implemented yet. And, you know, you've got 10 year olds bowling a full pitch length, throwing their shoulders out. That shouldn't happen. (laughs) You know, we don't have little t-ball players playing on a full baseball diamond. It just, it should not be happening. Exactly. So there's that whole niche right now that we've completely ignored. And unfortunately that is our biggest downfall right now. Yeah, we need to introduce gully cricket to Canada. Yeah, we do. Just some backyard gully, whatever, you know, just a fun version that's half an hour for little ones to come out, whack a ball. It's the best feeling in the world to just whack a ball. They don't care about how I'm holding it or how I'm standing. It doesn't matter at that age. Absolutely. Yeah. It sounds like, I mean, I imagine the youth who would get excited about the sport now, like you will have siblings who play or parents who play. So all of these young folks who don't have, you know, family members or close friends playing, there's, there's no exposure. So it's probably really hard. Yeah. And actually, so in my family, no one really played in my immediate family. And my brother used to play and he, for the same reason as uh, Anish mentioned way earlier in the conversation, you know, where a coach can make you or break you. Um, We had one of the provincial coaches in front of an 11 year old say, oh, you're in the team this year, don't worry. And then the next morning, the list is put out and he's nowhere on the list. And you didn't have to say anything oh. to him. And at that point, he said, you yeah. know what, not for it. But at 11, you have, you know, he didn't, he didn't have to know that at all. He didn't have, he just came to right. ask you how he did at the tryout. Yeah. His... Yeah. 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 Quite an emotional roller coaster for a young person. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's almost a betrayal, right? Yeah, like, 
it, it, you see the list and you're not on it is one thing, but then you've been told you're you've on been it. Told, it yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 But yeah, yeah, you're right. So there's, uh, oh, there's, there's a big so many need stories of that. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Switching gears a little bit, just asking about kind of your experience when you were playing. Um, so when you were playing and competing, how did your training look like when you were preparing to compete versus like maybe in an off season time? Um, so when we, when I was playing, um, we had a very aggressive coach and it, it worked out in our favor um, for the most part, physically, mentally, we will not discuss, but physically our fitness sessions, <laughs> we were we were fine-tuned <laughs> um no it was yeah, it was aggressive it was uh, yeah <laughs> yeah you gotta pick and choose which yeah. one you want um but yeah. uh rigorous training fitness sessions were were quite um heavily involved uh there was a lot of importance on it and then there were a lot of net sessions so at least two to three times a week we would train in the nets and then if it was summertime then we were outside um is it enough compared to what, you know, some of the other countries or full members are doing? No, not nearly enough. But it got us to a point where we were able to hold our own. Um, yeah. And that's saying a lot because when we had, when we were able to consistently be the winner in the region, it said that, you know, we were doing something right. We were able to consistently stay on top of the region. Um we did have a reality check as soon as we reached the next level at the qualifiers and we realized that we're not, you know, you feel like a hotshot in your region and then you meet the other hotshots yeah. and you are not. Yeah. Um, but it's all, it's, it was, um, I guess it's all a learning experience, isn't it? So you trained a certain way, it worked for you. Um, we didn't really have an off season necessarily because Back in the day, we did, uh, apart from our ICC tours, we actually had a partnership with the Trinidadian Cricket Board. So we were there at least once a year um, competing against them. And uh, we had training camps over there as well. So there wasn't really a downtime. Um, now, unfortunately, it's right. very different. And we're seeing uh, no consistent training um, about a month, two months before a tour is coming up. It's like, all right, we got to try and pull this thing together. And um, it's not, yeah, we've, we've gone the opposite direction, unfortunately. So other than it sounds like, you know, the pretty aggressive physical training, um, mentally, how did you do things to sort of prepare yourself or kind of calm butterflies before competition? Um, uh, I had, uh, I used to be a nervous batter so I, I used to open the batting and i'd go in and nervous and you're kind of like you're jittery because you're so nervous and one game i was just standing in the middle of the game had just started and i'm like why am i so nervous what changes in my life if i don't do well you know what actually changes mm -hmm. and i at that point i realized nothing is going to stop life from going on life will continue with or without you and you just have yeah. to roll with the punches sometimes it goes your way and sometimes it doesn't and it was since that game that i yeah. have never really been nervous at a game i mean you go out there and you you take each ball on its merit yeah. and uh 
and go with the flow. But I needed that one, yeah. you know, moment to just think about it. Like what, what actually changes here, you know? And since then, I, yeah. I don't know. I just kind of, I embrace being in the moment and, and doing the best that I can. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. It's like you kind of just have like a moment of clarity and perspective. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. And it's, and that happened when playing for Canada, but when I was playing in the men's league, when I first started, that was, yeah, I wouldn't even call that nerves. That was just the goal today is to not go home injured. <laughs> and <laughs> that, it, it was yeah, essentially right. it. Cause I had started at, I, I started at 15, 16, by the time I was playing in this men's league, yeah. you're just, you're trying to go home with as few bruises as you can, but it's a quick learning curve, right? It's like, I either go home hurt or I learn fast and um, completely <laughs> different set of skills. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you have like a worst or just a bad kind of sports performance that was kind of a learning experience for you? Yeah. Um, I had, uh, I'd scored a duck against Tobago. Um, so walked out to bat first ball. Is heading back and again we weren't really we weren't allowed to do poorly with our coaching situation <laughs> so that's playing on your mind you've just walked out scoring absolutely nothing and uh then i was in the field yeah. and that's still playing in your head because you know there's an after game chat coming up and uh i'm so busy focused yeah. on that that i was fielding on the boundary got on the knee <laughs> to stop a ball and nowhere in line of the ball and the ball i just watched it go right past me to the boundary and it was probably the worst games i've ever had in the field as a batter or as a fielder never that was not to be repeated ever again <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, um, so what it was sorry i was just going to ask so how did you overcome that in terms of like I'm sure you probably played a few more games with the same coach and the same set of nerves and all those, right? So what was kind of your takeaway from that moment of how, like you could tell yourself not to repeat it, but that's probably a little shallow, right? In, in the sense that that's not in your control. Your yeah. mind's racing. Yeah. The same thoughts are coming in your head. Probably the next time you took the field, it's like, I don't want to, I would need to do better than I did last time, right? And then that adds additional weight. So what did you do to kind of, I know previously you said at that one game, you had that epiphany where you'd started detaching yourself from the outcomes. Yeah. What was your um, immediate learning or how long did it take you to learn from that bad experience? Because sometimes it doesn't it, happen right away. It right? wasn't um, uh, too far after that, that I had had that moment where I was like, you know what, life is going to mm. go on. But my first ever tour, so when I debuted for Canada, um, I I think I was 19 at the time and the Americas were in Canada and I had trained so hard that summer. I was in the nets every single day, every single day, expecting that I was going to play every game, but I was the newbie on the team. I was the kid on the mm -hmm. team and I got benched every game except for one. And I said to myself while sitting on the side that I am never going to sit on the side again. And I did everything that I could after that to prepare myself physically, mentally. And, and I did, I, I put in as much effort as I could to improve my, my game, to be in that position where I, I'm leading from the top. And uh, that was the last tour that I actually ever, I was ever benched. I, 
I went on to open the batting for for Canada for almost every game. And if I didn't open, then I was coming in one down. But I'd made sure that I was one of the pillars in the team because there's nothing worse than being benched. <laughs> it's not a nice feeling. But yeah, I mean, you get... No. <laughs> you, it's every tour that we had and every game that you play, you just you make these little notes and that you need to work on this or that. And, yeah. and you figure a way out. Do you have advice you would give someone who's hoping to make a career of cricket in North America? Um, a career out of it? Don't. <laughs> it's not a career. <laughs> <laughs> not yet, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe in 20 yeah. years. A part-time career. Part-time career. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. If you are motivated and you want to give it 100%, then do that. Do exactly that. Give it 100%. Yeah. Um, don't, don't expect to get everything handed to you. You know, um, you have to do your part to get the returns. Um, and yeah. if you're going to make the commitment, then really make the commitment because it's not just when you play for Canada, it's not just a month before you play for Canada. It's a full time commitment to your fitness and to your training and, to taking care of yourself as an athlete. And that's, to me, that's very important. Yeah. I don't, um, you can't, uh, you can't put 50% of the effort and expect hundred percent of the reward. So if you want to go for it, go for it, but please be willing yeah. to put in a hundred percent. Yeah. And, and the, the crazy part about that is that you have to do all of that with very limited support systems from Correct. any of the boards yeah. uh, or the, the, so it's essentially you're putting your, not only are you putting your own time, you're potentially putting your own money in and, and then, you know, um, still the results are not in your hand at the end of it. Cause selectors, all these things are outside of your control. Yeah. So you kind of have to hope you're in the mix with the right, right system, you know, right set of people, I suppose, um, to get these chances. Right. Yeah. Um, you can only control the right. controls, gonna, right? You, we have a couple. you can't control anything yes. that's beyond yeah. your control. But if you do what you need to do, then yeah. there's a better chance of it going in, in your favor. And you can live happy that you gave it everything until a certain point and then you moved on, right? And there's no regrets at that point. Exactly. That's the big thing. Yeah. Um, if you become old and bitter about... Uh, you know, uh, this person didn't give me a chance or that person didn't give me a chance, then that's, uh, that's probably the wrong way to look at it. That may have happened. It may be very true, but again, did you do everything in your hands to make something out of it? Yeah. Right? So, um, cool. We have a couple more questions before we go into the rapid fire round. Um, so what is a common mistake you see aspiring cricketers making in, I guess, North America or in our areas? Um, they want to they want advice from too many people you know like mm. they'll they'll run into this person and they'll ask what am i doing wrong what can i fix and then two steps they'll find someone mm. else and they'll ask that sometimes you know you can't have too many chefs in the kitchen and a lot of it is trusting your gut you know everyone might see 
something different. Everyone might want to see you a version of what they have in mind, but that isn't necessarily going to work for you. You have to be able to, um, to do what works best for you. And trusting yourself is, is a big part of it. That, that is that is actually a great one. I hadn't thought about that, but essentially you just described me at 17. Um, <laughs> that was honestly, that was me with limited resources. I was like, okay, I want to improve rapidly. And how do I do that? Yeah. And let me ask as many people as I want. And then I'd tinker with my technique, come back and not be able to play the shots that were my strengths and not stick to what were my strengths yeah. and weaknesses. Right. So I think, um, yeah, that's, that's brilliant advice. Um, so I guess, Maybe that's your pro tip. Maybe it's not. But what is your pro tip for uh, cricketers? <laughs> that is essentially it. Know your own game. Know your own game and uh, have a support staff or a support network that you can trust and that has, you know, the people that are around you that have your best interest. And uh, a lot of it comes down to confidence and confidence in yourself and being able mm -hmm. to execute. There isn't there isn't really a right or wrong way of doing things, especially not the way the game's modified. Um, but just believe in yourself. That's my only, that's my biggest pro tip, I guess you can call it. Nice. Great. Okay, we've got a couple quick rapid fire questions for you. Uh, <clears throat> I'm just gonna jump right in. Uh, do you have a favorite cricketer? Uh, Rahul Dravid, I have a few. Um, uh, Charlotte yeah, Edwards. Okay, one one past, one present. Oh, uh, they're they're both kind of past. <laughs> uh, present. <laughs> That's I, true. They both both retired. Now. Yeah, they both retired. Uh, present, I would say, I, Virat Kohli. Just his uh, personality and the way he expects the best out of everyone. The presence that he has on the field is incredible. Uh, Meg Lanning, similar. You know, just the expectations that she has and the positiveness and the success rate that she has with her team is incredible. Yeah. Um, if you had to give up batting or bowling for all rounders, which, bowling. Which would <laughs> I would give up bowling. bowling. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite pregame song? I don't. I'm not. I'll go into anything. <laughs> no, I, I even run without music. I, I'm just no music. Just go for it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you have a favorite cricket equipment brand? Uh, Grey Nickels. Piece of equipment. Yeah. Grey Nickels. Uh, so how about favorite drill or favorite exercise? So uh, batting, anything batting is uh, throwdowns for hours. Your least favorite would be something bowling. <laughs> uh, fielding. Definitely. I, I know a lot of fielding. people love fielding, but for me, um, it depends. I mean, if it's yeah. like <laughs> throwing short catches, short, long catches, mm, no, thank you. <laughs> and I yeah. think it's partly because we were indoors <laughs> so much. <laughs> the highest you yeah. see is 10 feet inside the net. Yes. And <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, that's uh, that's it for the rapid fire questions. Thank you so much, Manali, for your time. Um, that was great. Uh, and I, I, you know, we didn't even get to touch upon your commentator career. I know that's something that you've been late doing lately as well, but maybe that will be on part two. <laughs> sure. Yeah, a lot on the go. Thank you for having me, All though. Right. This is great. <laughs>